was a few weeks ago, Alicia and I had an opportunity to visit Puerto Rico. It's a beautiful place. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful place. It's uh, full of beautiful people. On one day that we were there, we had the opportunity to go on a cave tour on the western part of the, the island. And so our guide, Javier, pulled up in the car and we jumped in and off we went. It was kind of at first one of those little awkward moments that you're, he's probably thinking, do they want me to talk? They just want to talk amongst themselves. And we're just kind of like, are we supposed to talk to him? You know, and finally my extroverted wife you know, says, have you lived in Puerto Rico your whole life? Well, that was all the introduction that he needed. And for the next hour, he would talk nonstop. I don't think he even took a breath. Did he take a breath? I'm not really sure if we, if we ever got in a word. But it was fascinating to me. I thought I'd signed up for a cave tour, but I was about to find out everything about Puerto Rico. You could sense his pride as he said, our people. And by the way, he, his blood, his bloodline and his... Uh, uh, ethnicity traced all the way back he would say my people we were here before the Spanish <laughs> and he just had this pride as he talked about the people he talked about politics he talked about uh, the plight of the people many of you familiar with Puerto Rico you know he talked about the devastating hurricanes he talked about the earthquakes that they've experienced at one point he choked back some emotion as as he said Poverty is, it's rampant here, but we are a resilient people. It was fascinating to hear him talk about that, his perception of the land and of the people. Well, we were there for the cave tour, and so we went on the cave tour. We saw some petroglyphs. We saw some stalactites and some stalagmites. And at one point after we had toured a few of the caves, it was time to jump back in the car and head back to where we were staying. And this time, I was the one with the burning question. I said, Javier, we have, we've talked about a lot of things today, and this has just been fascinating to me, but can I ask you, can you tell me about the churches here? He took a beat. He glanced up at me in the rearview mirror, and then he looked back at the road. He said, well, I can tell you the, the Catholic church, if I drive by it, they would probably count me in. They would probably put me on the roll, but I'm not Catholic. I said, okay, well, tell me about the evangelical churches here. He said, well, I can tell you that's just a bunch of pastors from the states that have come over here bringing their political views and uh, selling their, their holy water. Yes, he actually said that, selling their, their holy water um, for you can have healing for the right price. He said, by the way, what do you do? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he did not ask. But can I tell you I did not say <laughs> Because I sat in that back seat and my heart sank and I grieved. I grieved because his perception is not the exception to the rule, but more and more, it is the rule. Now, I can tell you, I know personally, many pastors and many churches that are doing a great work there, but it was his perception in that moment in time for that one person, that was his perception. I'm sure glad Puerto Rico 
is the only place where the churches are dealing with that perception. Now, we know that's not true. Orange Leadership did some research. They commissioned uh, some research to do a survey specifically with the demographic of 18 through 34-year-olds, unchurched 18 through 34-year-olds. They wanted to get an idea of what is their perception of the church. What they found was not surprising, but a bit disheartening. And what it surfaced is that we have a problem to solve for. We have a problem to solve for, and here's the problem. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against than, rather than what the church is for. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Now, this presents a bit of an issue for us because what is concluded in this research is that if people are more familiar with what the church is against, what they start to conclude is that the church is against them personally. Now, here's why that is a big problem. There are many people who have said no to the church simply because they believe the church has said no to them. There was a question in this survey, in the research that was commissioned. It was a simple question. It was this, would you be interested in hanging out or being friends with a pastor or church staff member? Are you ready for this? 84% said no. <laughs> they said, nope, not interested. Now, I got to tell you, that particular question just kind of, that one stings a little bit. But, he, I mean, here's why that's such a problem. We're not likely to be able to reach people who can't even begin to imagine being friends with us. Now, some people, they may wear this like a badge of honor, right? Like, didn't Jesus say, Travis, that, he, he said, the world uh, will hate you. And, and, and if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. Didn't Jesus say, yeah, yes, Jesus did say that. And isn't it true that Jesus had some teachings, some hard teachings that people heard and then they walked away. They rejected him. Yes, that is true. They rejected him then and they reject him today. But friends, do we not want to be sure that if somebody is rejecting Jesus, they are actually rejecting him and not something that we have attached to him? My wife, Alicia, she's so funny. You ask her if she wants some potato salad or some coleslaw, she's going to have a question for you. Is it mayonnaise-based? <laughs> she loves potato salad. She loves coleslaw. But she hates mayonnaise with a passion. Offer her some, something, and if it has any mayonnaise in it, she is going to give it a hard pass. Unfortunately, there are many who have given Jesus a hard pass, but not because of the gospel of Jesus, but because of something that we have attached to it. I've heard it said that a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved. 
And friends, we are solving for a problem today. We're solving for a problem throughout this series over the next few weeks, and it is this. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Now, this is the exact same issue that the early church was dealing with in Acts chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, please turn over there. And we're going to look at what's going on in Acts chapter 15. At this point, the early church, it is, it's growing and things are going really well. Even the Gentiles, okay, the non-Jewish believers, those who are being converted to Jesus, they are now being welcomed into the family and they are a part of the family. And this is, this is amazing that now the, the hope of Jesus is being opened not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles but this presents a bit of a problem for some people. Some of the Jews had been Jews their entire life. That means they had observed certain rituals their entire life. And so some of them began to teach that it's not enough for you to become more like Jesus. Some of them were teaching you need to become more like us first. Let's read verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the, the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among them, the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Now, this is James, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. This is James, the brother of Jesus. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God ha has intervened, first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James steps up 
and he speaks. They were experiencing the exact same issue, the exact same perception that we do today. You see, there were Gentiles that wanted to come to Jesus, but then there were certain people who were saying, it's not just about becoming more like Jesus. They were attaching something to the gospel of Jesus. And unfortunately, there were people who were saying, that's not for me. And they were turning away. Now, I do want you to notice in this passage that it's not just that they are for everything. You think, well, okay, how, well, how, do, how do we change this perception? Should we just compromise on our convictions and just well, maybe we, we never say no to anything? We just say, hey, it's all good and everybody's happy and the perception of the, the church. And No. See, that's not what happens now. That's not what happened then. There actually were some things that they were against. As we read, it's still James speaking. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now look at what he says. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, James, let me get this straight. You just said, let's not make it more difficult for them. And then you're going to write to them and you're going to give them a list of some things that they shouldn't do. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they do. But I want you to notice in verse 30, the reaction of the Gentiles when they received this letter. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were what? Glad for its encouraging message. Their perception was, it was encouraging. They were glad to receive the message from the leaders in Jerusalem. You see, the things that were named there were things that were the greatest temptations in the Gentile culture. This was actually what they were known for. They were known for worshiping idols. They were known for sexual immorality. It was rampant in their culture. So what is James doing? He's addressing these things that can draw them away from the pure gospel of Jesus because he is for them. It would have been pastoral malpractice for them not to address these things. And the people were glad for the encouraging message. Why? Are you ready for this? They knew that the church was for them. They knew that the church was for them. They knew why they were writing. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, one of the most famous scriptures and all of scripture for God so loved the world in their minds it just made sense they were following the one who so loved the world so would they if God was so for these people then how could they be anything else and somehow they were able to convey this to the people in a way that the people knew that not only God was for them, but they were too. These were Gentiles. These were, they used to be the outsiders. They were considered unfit, unclean. And now, now they're part of the family. And they know that the church is for them. And not just for them to become uh, more Jewish, 
for them to become more like Jesus. We want to be a people known for sharing hope. We want to be a people, when they see us coming, they know that what we are bringing is hope. And not just hope to become more like us. You see, that's what the the Gentiles were experiencing. They understood that the church didn't just want them to become a a better version of their Christianity. It didn't just want them to become circumcised. It didn't just want them to, to have some kind of outer show of faith. But they wanted them to become more like Jesus. It was Jesus that they were lifting up and Jesus that was drawing both the Jews and the Gentiles to him. And they were unified. And the church begins to grow. It continues to grow in this spirit. We want to be a people known for sharing hope, but not just any hope. We want to be a people known for sharing the hope of Jesus. This is why our vision is to be, we envision a community of disciples courageously engaging culture with the hope of Jesus, where we live, work, learn, and play. Let me just suggest just a few ways that we can do this. How can we be a people known for sharing hope? Number one, I believe it begins right here. Share your life. It may seem obvious to you, but it's just one of those that we tend to overlook. Share your life. It's easy for us to get frustrated with people who do not share our values, who do not talk like us, who do not act like us, who may not vote like us, whatever it may be. It's easy to just think it would be easier to just write people off, but I have to ask you this question as I ask myself this question. Who has God written off? Who has God said, they're just too far for me to reach? When we share our lives, we realize that we have a whole lot more in common than we have differences. You see, that's because we all want the same things. We all want joy. We all want peace. We all want less anxiety in our lives. We want love. We want acceptance. And we all experience the same things. We all experience pain, disappointment in life, rejection. What if we were known for sharing our lives with, with non-believers and that we would be known for, as a people who were quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Yeah, that's from James as well. What if people knew us like that? And by the way, if you don't have any non-believing friends that you are sharing life with, you should be. Why? Because Jesus did. Do you remember what the people used to call Jesus? I mean, almost in a derogatory way, at least they thought it was. They used to call him 
friend of sinners. Look at that Jesus. He's just a, he's a friend of sinners. He eats with them. He spends time with them. If we're to be followers of Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves, how many non-Christian, non-believing friends are we sharing life with? Because here's the thing. We are unlikely to share Jesus where we refuse to share our lives. Those 18 to 34-year-olds that we're talking about, what are they looking for? They're looking for someone just to share life with so that they can see in their life what's going on there. What, what is this hope all about? And we are unlikely to share Jesus when we refuse to share our lives. It's been demonstrated that the typical non-Christian must develop at least five relationships with Christians before they are ready to hear the gospel of Jesus. Five friendships, five relationships with believers. Could it be that God is calling you to be one of the five? To be someone in their life, sharing life with them. Because when you're naturally sharing life, at some point you get the opportunity to take this next step. Share your story. Yes, you have a story. If we're willing to share our lives, we're much more likely to get to share our story. And you have a story. And it goes something like this, some version of this. I was, but God, and now. I was anxious. I was selfish. I was always looking out for myself. I was without purpose in life. But God. See, I had a heart of stone, but God took my heart and he, he gave me a new one. And now, all I can tell you is I'm just a different person. Because of Jesus, I have more peace. Because of Jesus, I have more hope. And now, I sleep a little better. And now, I'm a little more other-centered than I used to be. And now I'm a part of a mission, something bigger than myself. You have a story to tell. And if you're sharing life with non-believers, you will have the opportunity at some point to simply share the transformation that you have experienced in your life. And here's a hint. When you tell your story, Jesus is always the main character. Share your story. And now I have more hope and not just any hope. And now my hope is real because Jesus really did sacrifice himself on a cross. Jesus really did predict his own death and had the authority and the, the power to not only predict his own death, but he predicted his own resurrection and he walked out of that tomb. That's real. And that's why, and now, my hope is real too. And because he was resurrected one of these days, I will 
to. You have a story to tell. So share your life with people and then share your story. And then third, this is one of the greatest honors is to share the mission. I want you to think about somebody that you're, you're thinking about right now, who you're sharing life with or who you could share life with. And think about that moment where you can share your story. And through your life, they get to see this transformation of Jesus. And they think, that's exactly what I've been looking for. That's, I want some of that. And then I want you to envision them sharing mission with you. Now, some of the people on mission with Jesus, they had not even believed in him at the time. I mean, think about some of his closest followers. They are on mission with him. They are walking with him, but they still don't understand it all. They don't quite fully get who he is, but they're already on mission with him. What a wonderful opportunity we have. And what problem are we solving for? Well, many are more familiar. They're more familiar with what the church is against than what the church is for. But here's the good news. We have the opportunity to change that perception. We have the opportunity when someone thinks about the church, that they would think about a church that is known for sharing hope. Now, I have to ask you this question. Let's just make this a little more personal. Let's say someone is riding around in a car in our community and they ask their guide, tell me about the Oak Hills Church. What would they say? What is it that we would be known for? And would we be a people known for sharing hope? Would they say, and we're so thankful that that church is a part of our community. Because that church is here, we see more hope in our schools, in our and our businesses. That church has produced some business leaders. You wouldn't believe the way they conduct their business in this community. They have teachers and administrators. You wouldn't believe the way that they care for students. Well, someone from that church lives in my neighborhood and you wouldn't believe the way that they care about our neighborhood, where they live. Is that what they would say? What are we known over the next few weeks, we are going to be exploring some of the things that we want to be known for. But for today, can I challenge us in this? I want you to think about your relationships and who you're doing life with and who you are sharing life with. Do you have any non-Christians that you're sharing life with? Now, I'm not talking about that inner circle. I mean, Jesus is a wonderful example. Yes, he was a friend of sinners, but look at who was closest to him. Those who were on mission with him already. But outside of that inner circle, do you have relationships with non-Christians that you are cultivating, that you might have an opportunity to plant a seed of truth and for them to be able to see Jesus through you? 
Five relationships is what it takes typically for someone to be open to the gospel of Jesus. Would you be willing to be one of the five in someone's life? We want to be a church that's known for sharing hope. So let's share our lives. Let's share our stories. And let's share the mission. Let's pray. Father, some of these things that we are talking about is uh, within our power to choose. And then some of these things, this is transformation that only your Holy Spirit can make happen, can make possible. And so I'm praying right now, maybe for someone who is listening and someone who is giving church a, another chance, giving Jesus another chance, and maybe their perception has not been so great. Maybe their perception has been more about what the church is against. But Father, I'm praying right now that they would see Jesus and only Jesus. And Father, we repent of any times and through our own individual actions or through our corporate actions as a church, any time where we have attached anything to Jesus that has caused anyone to reject him, Father, we repent of that. And we call on you we call on you to make all things right through us. We submit to you. We trust you. We obey you. Where you call us, we will go. May we go in light of the guidance of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.